All right. Everybody say goodbye. You know why? You won't see that video again. <laughs> this is our last Sunday in our family series that we have entitled Family Life. And uh, we covered some different topics, and we're going to do so again today. And we're going to talk about choices today, um, particularly choices at life's junctures. Um, those crucial times and decisions in life that really have lasting impact or can have lasting impact in the decisions that we make. Now, several years ago, and it really has been several years, probably, I'm going to guess about 10. It may have been more than that. Um, we discovered the wonder of park and fly. Now, this is when you actually could get a plane ticket for about $49 each way, maybe $79 round trip from Southwest. And so what we discovered was you could go down to Nashville and certain hotels would, would let you park there, stay the night, and then take you to the airport, leaving your car at the, at the hotel. They would pick you up and bring you back when you returned all for just the cost of a night's stay. And believe it or not, you can stay at certain hotels for about $49 or $59. It was really, really a good deal. So one of those times, we're going to Nashville to fly out. My entire family, if I remember correctly, and we're on the van and we're heading out. And we were going to stay at a Days Inn located on Airport Drive. Airport Drive. So I got in, and this is after the advent of... GPSs. It wasn't real good then, but it was functionable. And so I got in there, and I put in air, put in Nashville, Tennessee, and I put in airport, and hit the first thing I saw. Unfortunately, I did not notice it was not airport drive. It was airport park road. So we drove our. We left after work. We drove our long three hours there. Kids are in there. Faith would have been a little baby at that time. And you know how little babies can get sometimes. And that's why I'm glad for empty nest syndrome. And so anyway, so, so we get there. And so I'm following the little tom-tom voice and I'm listening. And it wasn't long before we were in like an industrial park. And I'm going to Judy, something doesn't look right. And so I drive and drive and finally it says, you have reached your destination. And it was a factory. I mean, I'm going, boy, I know this is a cheap hotel, but it's got to be better than this, you know. And so, of course, you know, again, I, I have matured so much spiritually. Back in those days, I would, it would take a, a minor thing to get me frustrated. Now it takes a semi-minor, you know. Uh, I've, I've grown a little bit. But anyway, so I got all frustrated. What are we going to do? Now, I know y'all don't do that, but, but, you know. So finally, and I said, well, let me just check the address again. And then I saw it. Airport Park Drive. I said, Judy, I put in the wrong road. And you know what's amazing? When I put in the right address... That little sweet little GPS machine took me right to our hotel. Isn't that amazing? So here's the, here's the point. The point is, if you want to get where you want to go, you've got to make some right decisions and do things right. You know, for instance, if you want to come to Dorsville Baptist Church and you didn't know where it was, if you have a GPS, you better put in Feasel Street and not Feasel Road. Because if you put in Feasel Road, you're going to go to a really nice cow pasture but you probably won't go to Dorsville Baptist Church. If you want to go to Chicago and you're going from here to Marion, you better take you know, 57 North and not 57 South because 57 South will take you somewhere, but it won't be Chicago. It's important that we make the right decisions in life. And so here's what's going to happen today. Let me kind of tell you. When I did the sermon sheet early in the week, I listed Joshua 24, which we are going to cover today. And then I listed about five or six things there, just thoughts. 
And as I, as I crock-potted my sermon, I said, you know, we really need some scriptural basis. So we're going to spend about, about 50% of the time, maybe a little bit less, talking in Joshua 24. And then I, I've gone through and found some scriptures that support each one of those points. Because it's just so, so important. Now, if you're here today, or perhaps you're listening online, or perhaps you're going to listen online, uh, this is put on YouTube now uh, for audio video and also audio. And uh, so, you know, in case you're going to listen to it online, there's really something you need to know. What we're going to talk about today is directed toward Christ followers. It's directed for people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason why is, is because we have placed our faith in Christ. We happen to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's our roadmap. It's our GPS. It's how we get from point A to point B in life. If you're here or you're listening in the future, I want you to know something. It's crucial that you understand that. Now, the Bible has some great advice for non-Christians. If you're a non-Christian, there's a lot of wisdom in this book. You can't apply all of it, but you can grab some of it. So if you're a non-believer in this sanctuary or you're going to listen to this online in the future, understand that, that we're going to follow the Bible today, and some of you are going to go, well, that just makes good practical sense. But some of you are going to go, "Uh uh-uh, that doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like the Constitution. You know, a German national may have great appreciation for our Constitution, but it really doesn't totally apply to him. In fact, it doesn't apply to him at all. But if you're a member, if you live in the United States or if you're a citizen and your citizenship's here, then all of a sudden the Constitution becomes a very important and impactful document. So it is with the Word of God. It's got good practical advice. But when you put in a relationship with Jesus Christ in a person's life, there is like power. You might say this, the, the power of the Word of God is released in relationship. The power of the Word of God is released in relationship. So if you know Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior, if you're a Christ follower, then I want you to understand what I'm going to share with you today is powerful. It's powerful. But it still depends on us to apply what we hear and grasp what we hear. Okay? So now here's the deal. In in, uh, Joshua 24, it's a great, very common scripture. Very common scripture. It kind of goes like this. In Joshua 24, starting in verse number 1, there's going to be a covenant renewal service. And to start it all off, God just kind of tells the children of Israel all the things that he's done. He even goes back all the way to Abraham. He says, you know, know, your father Abraham was this pagan guy, and I spoke to him, and he believed me, and I counted for him righteousness, and I called him out of Ur and brought him to the land of Canaan, and then there were sons born to him, a son born to him, and there were sons born to, to Isaac. All this happened, and then Joseph went down and took the family down to Egypt, and they got into bondage, and and then finally I set them free, and then once they got free, they wandered in the wilderness, and once they wandered in the wilderness, they came to the Jordan River, and I parted the river, and you guys have been now in the promised land. In other words, wow, look what God has done. And the first two words in Joshua 24, verse 14 is this, now therefore... So what God is saying, and what Joshua is saying, in light of all that God has done, in light of the Passover, in light of the the freedom from Egypt, in in light of the miracles, uh, the manna, the water, in light of the great victories that you have won over the enemies that you have encountered, in light of all that, he says, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. If you want something to do sometime in the Bible, if you parallel the nation of Israel and if you parallel the Christian life, there's a lot of similarities there. So if I was to bring that forward now, you know, for a couple thousand years, okay, we would end up here. 
at the cross. Because you see, this, in, in view of what Jesus did on the cross here, we should serve the Lord. Now this cross, not this cross, but the cross, and really not the cross, the Jesus who died on the cross, made a way that we could go from bondage to freedom. And you've got to get that. It's not because we deserved it. It's not because um, somehow you know, God had sympathy on us. He understood that we were sinners. He understood the fact that we could do nothing about that. So he provided a way that if we were acknowledging that we were sinners, that Christ died for our sins, endured the wrath of God that day, and paid the price for our sins. So if we'll acknowledge our sin and turn from our sin, that's called repentance. If we're willing to do that, then in fact, we can come in a relationship with him. He'll forgive our sins and give us some victories in our life. So we can't go back to Egypt. We can't go back and say, God parted that Red Sea for us. That's, this whole thing is historical. But we can look back to a cross. And we can look back and see the fact that there was a man named Jesus who died for us. We were ostracized. We were aliens of God. And Jesus died. Opened the door and said, black men, white men, yellow men, brown men... German people, American people, African people, Chinese people, who's ever willing to come to the point of repentance and turn from their sin and believe what Jesus Christ did and can make that commitment to live, they can have eternal life. Some of you have experienced that. Is that right? I mean, we have. It's an incredible thing. So Josh would say to us, now, therefore, just like he said to the children of Israel, now, therefore, he says, we are to fear the Lord and to serve him. We are to respect. The word fear, again, I, I make this so, it's, it's so important you understand. It's not the, ah, oh, fear. It's a respect. It's a respect. In light of the incredible, oh, we're, girls, what a great, ladies, what a great job on the song today. After all, you're constant. After all, you're always good. So, so we would say today, because of Calvary, because of what he did, we should respect, we should love God. And then he says we should serve him. And that's the application part. We should worship him and we should serve him and we should do so in sincerity and in truth or in sincerity and faithfulness. You know, looking forward again, not in the Hebrew, but in the Greek, the word sincera is the Greek word. And it's where we get our word sincerity. And it means without wax. This is kind of cool. What If you're a potter and you're an unscrupulous potter, then you would make a pot, and if you saw a blemish, if you saw a crack in the pot, you would take it and take your thumb, and you'd fill the pot, or fill the crack with wax. And you'd dust it over real good so we don't see it. And so the pot would be flawed, but it would look great. What you needed to do when you went pot shopping is you would hold the pot up to the light. And if it had a crack... The wax being semi-transparent, you would see the crack. So the slogan became that my pots are sincere, my pots are without wax. And that simply means that it was full of integrity through and through. So, so we need to recognize today, be in view of the cross, in view of what God has done for us, if we are Christ followers, in view of what Jesus has done for us, we should respect him, we should serve him, not just anyway, but in sincerity and without wax. Now, here's the deal. What that means is this. If, if we were to take a flake of your skin and put it in a microscope so we could see your DNA, 
In the smallest part of your cell structure, we need to see the DNA of Jesus. In other words, you don't need to have Jesus just on the outside so you look good. When, when, he, when he says, serve God in sincerity, he means through and through, Jesus is concentrated in your life. Too many people today have a good dose of Jesus on the outside, and that's called religion. And they don't have Jesus on the inside, which is called relationship. So it's hugely important today that you know Jesus Christ, not in a superficial way, but in a through and through DNA way. Serve Him in sincerity and serve Him in truth or in faithfulness. In other words, truth means without hypocrisy. Again, what you say and what you do are the same thing. Hugely important. So that's how Joshua starts off. And so then he goes down. I love this. He said, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He said, go back. Okay, take the gods that Abraham, and that's where we're going. Some of your translations make it clear. Put away the gods of Abraham out of your life. Now, can I say something? If you're a Christ follower today, you need to have a God garage sale. What Joshua was saying was, he said, don't put your gods in storage for another day. Get rid of them. See, we Americans are blessed with stuff. Can I have an amen? If you lived in your house more than five years, you know it. You've got the garage. See, for you, garage doesn't mean a place to put your car. It's a place to put your stuff. We are stuff fanatics. We are stuff hoarders. Now, we save it on the context that just perhaps we will need it sometime in the future. Okay? Then, of course, we also have a new business called storage facilities. So when we run out of space in our garage and in our closets and our attics, we go rent a spot to put our, spa- our stuff on the context that we might need it in the future. Joshua is saying you don't want to have a storage facility with all your old gods on the context you might need them in the future. When he said put away, he means have a garage sale for the gods. Get rid of them. See, if I've got an old lawnmower and I hang on to the old lawnmower, I can always go back and get that old lawnmower. But if I sell that lawnmower to George, it wouldn't be kosher because he paid for it. I gave it to him because he paid for it to go back and say, George, I want my lawnmower back. It's gone. Would you say gone? You got to get your gods, your other gods gone. Come on now. you got to get your other gods gone. Now, I know you ain't got a little bull in your house that you worship. I know you ain't got no little fat guy with earrings in his ear worshiping him. I know that. The gods in America are much more full of finesse than that. They've got dollar signs and four wheels and addresses and labels and, two, oh, and titles. And too often, those are the things that we tend to worship. And anything you worship is a god. And I'm going to give you a secret. If you're worshiping anything besides the one true God, creator God, Jehovah God, you're in deep weeds. Including, by the way, your children. Including, by the way, your husbands. Including, by the way, your wives. When it comes to worship, there's a single cedar throne. And God is not going to share that. He's not 
going to share that. As soon as you start worshiping something else, and believe me, it's so easy to do, then God speaks on our God and we worship another God. See, gods, and this is a real word of warning to you, gods are like pop-up thunderstorms. Have you ever noticed that? Especially like in Illinois and Oklahoma. It'd be a perfectly clear day. It's kind of like Elijah when he called for rain. It'd be a perfectly clear day and all of a sudden this little cloud appears and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and darker and darker. And before long, you have this supercell thunderstorm that's developed out of seemingly nothing. That's how gods are. It's so easy when we taste a little bit of success, we taste a little bit of prestige, we taste a little bit of of prosperity. It's awful easy for a thunderstorm of false gods to develop in our lives. That's bad enough. But when that thunderstorm turns severe and the consequences get bigger, it gets worse. How how many of y'all remember February 29th, 2012? When a super, yeah, a supercell thunderstorm spun a tornado and killed eight people in Harrisburg. Right through here, right over here. You You can go two blocks and see still some of the damage. It went right across into Country Club area and then out into the country even to the college. That was spun off from the thunderstorm. And so much of the horrible catastrophes that we experience in our lives is because of a pop-up God that we chose to worship. And as it grew and grew in power and strength in our life, we turned from Jehovah God and the consequences are devastating. Sometimes unrecoverable. Sometimes unrecoverable. So be careful. Put away these false gods. Have a God garage sale. Get rid of them. And then verse number 15, he says this. And if it seem evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose. Now that's where our sermon thought comes in. Now Joshua is not throwing out an open invitation. Oh, he's not saying, oh, well, if you really want to go serve false gods, just go ahead. The point is this. It would be so ludicrous. It would be so crazy for you to turn from the one true God to serve God wannabes. The the question, the statement demands a negative answer. Now listen to me. Please listen to me. I know the pull of false gods. I understand that. But there is not a false god in this world, in this universe, in all anywhere that can match our one true God. There is no, listen, there's no love, there's no power, there's no majesty, there's no compassion. Our God is like no other God. Come on, amen, that's right. And the more you understand that, the more you're going to be willing to to launch into what we're going to cover at the end of the message. The more you understand that, the more you understand His love. Again, if you ever doubt the love of God, just go back to the cross. The anchor of our hope and our love, uh, understanding of God's love, is right there on Mount Calvary when Jesus, God in the flesh, died for our sins. Showing greatly His love for us. So, so Joshua is saying, now look, it's ludicrous to even say this. But, but if you somehow don't want to serve the one true God, if you feel the pull of power, if you feel the power of prestige, if you feel the power of money, if you pull the power of this, feel the power of that, and, and, you're, and you're in a, qu- a flux... If it seem evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And this is why I didn't spend much time in the previous verse about these two gods. He gives a very clear thing. You need to write this down. He says this. 
whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Do you see it? It's real clear. It's very clear. Joshua said, really, you have two choices of gods. You can go back to the God of your past or you can go to the God of the culture. He said, choose this day. If you you don't want to serve the one true God, then perhaps the God of your past looks very attractive. Now, this always is mystifying to me. Some of us are blessed with, with a pretty... What's the word I want? A pretty mild testimony. In other words, I was raised in church. I went to church three times a week. At some point, I realized my need of a Savior. I didn't smoke or chew. Didn't run around with girls who do. Um, You know, didn't do that stuff. I was a child of the 60s, but stayed away from that stuff. I stayed pretty morally clean. I met Jesus one day, and and wasn't a whole lot of physical change because I wasn't that bad of a person. And so I continued on my journey. That's some people's testimony. And to you, I say this. And by the way, that's me. I need to tell you this. If you think that's not much of a testimony, you don't understand who you were and God's grace. Because the most morally clean person, the sweetest little grandmother without Jesus, is going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell because of their unmet price for sin. If you reject Jesus Christ, I don't care how moral you are, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. That's not my opinion. That's God's word. That's what it says. So if you're here today and you say, well, I don't have a really powerful testimony. Oh, listen, you do. On your, on your best day, you are a reprobate, a reprobate sinner separated from the Holy God. On your best day, you were. That's why you can't cast rocks at other people. You are just as lost as the worst sinner that you can imagine. So you've got a testimony. You experienced God's amazing grace. He saved you. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, God. You've got a testimony. But some of you, particularly people my age, and it really doesn't have to be my age, some of you is is a checkered past of drugs or alcohol or sexual uh, exploitation, all these different things of the world. Um, perhaps there's an armed robbery. Perhaps there's jail time. Um, perhaps, well, you just name it. There's spousal abuse or child abuse. Those kind of things. And you say, one day, out of that quagmire... Well, that's a pretty good word. <laughs> Write that one down. That's a good one. And I almost got it right, I think. Out of that mess, God's grace reached down and pulled you out. Woo! And we all go, yeah, all those testimonies, yeah. But I want you to understand something. You know, sin is sin, and there are bigger consequences, but sin is sin. And every person here who knows Jesus Christ and experienced God's grace, you've got a testimony. So I, don't, I said all that to say this. Joshua says, do you really want to go back to the God of your past? Now, for some of you, you know, again, the only, really not a whole lot changed morally in your life. But for some of you who are alcoholics or are drug addicts or are sexual addictive, you know, you go back and go, well, I don't want to go back to that. I remember waking up in my college dorm and in my own vomit. I don't want to go back to that. Come on, the past wasn't that good. The past may, you say, well, boy, I, I remember some good times. You don't remember the bad parts. So do you really want to go back to, to the way life was before Jesus? Come on. Don't, don't you love laying, and maybe you need to hear this today. 
Don't you love me and lay down your head at night and knowing if the big one comes in the middle of the night and you die, that face-to-face with Jesus you'll be? Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's just cool to know. If you're driving down the road and some stupid driver head-on you, you have to spend the body's present with the Lord. Isn't that great? Do you really want to go back and serve a God of the past? A God who could do nothing for you? No. And then he says this God of the culture thing. Now, 50 years ago, in 1960, you know, well, early 60s and 50s, we were a pretty moral country. Again, you know, again, we were, we were pretty good as a country. But that's not, y'all know that's not true anymore. Do you understand that we're carnally one of the most, we're most, most carnal nations in the world? Do you understand that many parts of the world look at us and say, that's the cesspool of the world? I mean, you understand, you know, with, with the, uh, the same-sex marriage thing, um, with abortion, um, with pornography. Lord, you don't even need pornography. Just watch television. Now, I'm not, I'm not being a horse. I'm not legalistic. You know I'm not legalistic. I'm just telling you, do you really want the, the God that culture's selling? Because can I tell you something? It's not working. There are too many rich, wealthy, influential people who check out with a gun to their head or an overdose of pills because they found out that culture doesn't work. So do you really do you really want that God? Do you really want to go back to the way it was before Jesus? Do you, do you really want to plunge into what the world calls fun today? Life today? I don't see how you could. Explain to me after church if you want to. I'll be back back door. Explain to me, when this is why I think culture is so cool. Well, go ahead and explain that to me. I'd like to hear your answer. So, so he says, do you really want to do that? Well, clearly to me it's not. In fact, that's what Joshua says in that huge verse that hangs in probably half our houses. In verse 15, the last part, he goes, But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. He said, look, you can have your past. I don't want it. You can have your culture. I don't want it. And not because I really think he understands Grace. He understands the power of God. He understands the value of worshiping the one true God. He says, regardless of circumstances, regardless of my past, regardless of what the world offers, I'm going to serve God. And that is so cool. And if I had a wish as your pastor today, well, let me, let me back up two steps. If I had a wish for me, and if I had a wish for you, it would be not... 40% of the time, not 70% of the time, not 80% of the time, but 100% of the time, I would understand that serving God is the best deal going. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, with all that said, let's take just a, now I've got about 15 minutes to share with you. These, these, and again, I'll have, this is not, a, this is not a, a encyclopedia on these scriptures. It's just simply a couple of quick thoughts because these are junctures that we face. Now, as you know, I've done this long enough now. I'm a little bit wiser in the sense of choices. I made some really bad ones. I've made a few good ones. And I want to share with you from God's Word a few perspectives of what God says about junctures. Now, you know, when you're young, and, and I didn't, again, I talked about receiving Jesus. That's obviously the biggest decision that there'll ever be is receiving Jesus. But really, you know, you go through seventh, you know, you're seven years old, you're nine years old, you're 12 years old, but slowly you get older, okay, and you reach that juncture of, 
what am I going to do with my life? And this is on the sermon sheet. God's will for my life, my purpose, my work and career. What should I do in my life? Now, I'm going to be very candid with you. First, I want to speak to mommies and daddies, and I'm also speaking to the students that are here today. There's a bigger deal than making money. Money doesn't solve everything. Nothing wrong with money. It's a great tool. Okay? If you've got something you don't want, let me know after church. I'll take it. Um, not a big deal. But what I want to understand this is this. That I believe, and let, let me read the scripture I've got picked out for this. And I, I think you have them for the screens also. Psalm 139, 14 says this. I will praise you because I have known remark, I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. The biggest, one of the biggest wonders of life is you want, if you find out what God has made you to do and do it. That doesn't necessarily mean being an African missionary. It doesn't always mean, being, it does not mean being a preacher, but it means this. I think you are wired a certain way. You have a certain personality that God's put in you. You have gifts and abilities. And you will be happiest. Now listen to me. I'm a little bit older now. You will be, now listen students, you'll be happiest, in quotes, happiest. You'll be happiest when you can find out what God wants you to do in conjunction with your gifts and abilities and talents. I am wired a certain way, okay? And God has allowed me to use my wiring in a certain way. You need to find out what you're wired to do. Because I'll tell you this. You can go through life making all the money in the world, and if you're not happy doing it, you're going to die a very miserable person. Find out what God wants you to do. What purpose has he called you to do in this life? And then do it. God's will for my life. Secondly is this. God's will for my mate. Now, one, that's, that's hugely important that you find out what God's made you to do and wired you to do and find out to do that. It's hugely important to find out who God wants you to marry. Now, that may not be the most beautiful person in the world. It may not. In fact, have you figured it out yet? Those of you who've gotten a little older and you look back at your old picture and go, you know, what happened? You know, physical beauty is fleeting. Man, men or women. You know, some of us have had the chest of drawer disease. My chest has fallen into my drawers. Uh, okay? All right? So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you are single today, you need to make it a big priority. Who am I going to marry? Now, there, again, this is not... A, this, we, could take a script, we could take a sermon out of each one of these scriptures. But there's a really good scripture for believers in Jesus Christ that says this. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says this. Do not be... I like this word, too, from the Holman Christian Standard. Do not be unmatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, if you are a Christ follower, a key part, a key part of choosing a mate has to be their relationship with Jesus Christ also. I have seen this. Listen to me. Look at me. Are you looking? I have seen. I've seen a few work out. But by and large, I have seen when it's unbalanced, when a believer marries an unbeliever, it ends well, not well. Either the believer's pulled down. I know. I'm the rescuer. I'm going to bring him up. Too often, they bring you down and it costs you your life of service to Christ. 
I've seen divorces happen. I've seen wives who get up or husbands get up and go to church by themselves because he said, I ain't going to church. This is so huge, guys. If you're a Christ follower, if you truly follow Jesus Christ, this is a monstrous big one. Find you a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm like so many now. I don't think there's a person out there, okay? I don't, I don't think there's, you know, God may create just a person for you because what that person died, you'd have to stay single. I don't, I don't think we want to push it that far. But we can generally say quickly, find a Christ follower. Ask God's blessings. Determine that if that's what he desires for you to do and marry that person. It, I can't tell you how important it is. The third thing is this. The third juncture. God's will for my marriage. Choosing hard over easy. In America today, as you know, divorce is just rampant. It really is. Um, I I marry people fully understanding and knowing that there's a very good chance that it will end up in a divorce. Um, We don't take marriage seriously. And again, I'm talking to Christ followers and the world. But we, we see marriage as a throwaway entity. It's something we can cast away if we want to. And that is so far from what God ever intended. And we need to go back. We need to go back to this. We, we need to reach a point where we understand that marriage is for a lifetime. A lot of amens. Marriage is for a lifetime. Here's what Jesus said about this, a, a partial scripture. The Pharisees said, hey, is it okay to get a divorce? Can I divorce my wife? And, and Jesus says, basically, he says, well, you know, the reason why Abraham was given, or, or why you had divorce, Moses gave you a right of divorcement, was because of the hardness of your heart. Here's what he says. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And that's a sermon in itself. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. God believes, well, first off, he says Malachi, he hates divorce. And two, God believes a man and woman should be married for life. Now, let me give you two thoughts. Dwayne, that's awful harsh. I'm divorced. What are you saying? I'm saying this. If you're married today and it's your second marriage or your third marriage, make the commitment right now before God that this marriage is for life. You will not find one chunk. No, I can't say that. Slap my mouth. I won't chuck any rocks. I can't speak for others. If you're one of those people that like to chuck rocks at people with a, a, a divorce emblem on their forehead, shame on you. Shame on you. There's not room for rock chuckers in the family of God. But what I'm saying is this. You can't undo the past. And I'm assuming by God's grace you put it under God's grace. And, and you need, by the way, quickly, you need to own your part of the divorce. Because believe me, everybody owns a little part. You may be this little, but everybody owns a part. So you need to ask God to forgive you of that. But the marriage you're in right now can be for a lifetime. The marriage today can be for a lifetime. Change the mentality. If it doesn't work, we can get a divorce. Don't let divorce slip from your lips. Don't let it be in your heart. Choose to stay married. Now, one of the, the same thing I want to say is this. There's someone here in this room or will hear this message online, and they're already mad at me anyway, so I might as well make them a little bit matter. So often we get a divorce. Now, now, if your husband's beating you, get out. Don't let your safety be compromised.
But so often we get a divorce because we aren't happy. Again, you're not going to like this. I, I, I'm glad to get, Jeremy gave me a pecan pie today. I'm going to go home and eat comfort food all afternoon. Because <laughs> y'all aren't going to like me. But so often we get out of a marriage because I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy. Would you please show me a scripture that says God wants you to be happy? He may well. I just don't know of one. Okay? When you made that commitment, you made that commitment. But here's the deal. If there are children involved, you really mess up their lives. You really. And I don't care if they're adult or or little children. You mess up their lives. And you may find another person to be happy, but most of the time those kids are messed up. Let me read something to you. This was from um, a ministry called Family Life. I got it for a devotion. I shared it. I've shared it with my staff. This was written by an 18-year-old child of divorce. In other words, the parents have been divorced. You can hear the emotion in her voice. Divorce is like a trembling earthquake. The world shakes, rumbling with rage, and all the anger, guilt, and frustrations that have been festering for so long below the surface suddenly spew upward in an inferno of hate or apathy. At times the earth calms and you think the turmoil is over, settled, stable. But then the cycle begins again, repeating, repeating, repeating. You are weary. You want to rest. And that is when you realize the shaking has stopped. But there is an eerie feeling lurking in the air. You are hesitant to believe anything anymore. You're so tired after struggling for so long, and so you rest on the one solid patch of land, only to watch it split in two, two separate distinct parts that will never come together again. Each new patch supports part of you, and as you watch, they pull away. Written by an 18-year-old child of divorce. I love you to death. If you don't know that, I'm sorry. I love you as your pastor. If you're in a marriage, stay in that marriage. Stay in that marriage. And I guess I need to say, if the divorce is over and you've got children of divorce, for goodness sake, be understanding, loving, and compassionate. Make sure, gosh, I'm digging a hole so deep I'll never get out. If that divorce has occurred, get over the hate you have for the other person. Give these children some kind of sense of normalcy. Give them something. I have, I have seen the hurt of this over and over and over again. And the victims are the children. And I know you've got your story. Y'all know, again, I'm not a rock chucker. You've got your story, and, and, and probably it's unique to you, but it's probably not unique. Just if you're in the marriage, stay in the marriage. Put the other part under God's grace. Give your kids the normalcy as best you can that they're crying out for. At juncture, choosing hard over easy. The next one is this. God's will for my family as as husband, wife, parent, child. And we certainly don't have time to go, well, this is what the husband's supposed to do, and this is what the wife did. But but after Peter talks about that, he, he gives us a scripture. Listen to the scripture. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. Now, finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, 
should, you should love believers and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. Treat members of the family like Jesus would treat members of the family. If your husband's a jerk, extend grace because you've experienced grace. If your children are driving you crazy, extend grace because you drove your parents crazy anyway. Extend grace. Love one another as Christ would have you love. And the last one's this, and we'll be done. God's will for my future. What to do later. What do you do when you're in the last part of your life? You know, what's, what, what should we do? Whether it be retirement or even if you're still working in your 60 or 70. I think about George T. Garden. I think he's 76 and still works 40 hours a week. What do, how do you finish well? What do you do? And the answer to that is, is that even as you grow older, you understand this. You don't stop serving God. There is no retirement from being a believer in Jesus Christ. Your jobs change, your abilities change, your talents may even change. But you understand that the fourth quarter is the most important quarter of all. In fact, some of you need to hear this. You're sitting there and you're in your fourth quarter and you're going, I've made such a big mess of my life. You know, is there any hope? And it's not too late. I love this story I found in Joshua 14.10. Caleb was 45 years old when he sent to spy for the land. He was, him and Joshua were the two that got to go into the promised land. Everybody else died in the wilderness that were under 20, or over 20 years old. And so he comes to Joshua and says, okay, here's the deal. You know, I was faithful back when I was 45 years old. I'm now 85 years old. I want you to know I'm as strong as I was then. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as he promised, since the Lord spoke this word to, to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. And then he says this, now, give me that mountain that God promised. My brothers and sisters, if we're in the fourth quarter of our lives, my word to you is look God and say, God, give me that mountain. Let me finish well. There's a great story about Pat Summerall. Anybody know Pat Summerall? Know the name? Um, he, was, he was raised in a broken home. He was a, a product of divorce. In fact, his parents abandoned him. He was raised by his, his grandmother, and then he went to the University of Arkansas and earned quite a reputation there as the football player. Then he went to the NFL and was a Hall of Famer in the NFL. And, and then in the third quarter of his life was a mixture of success and failure. What happened was he became one of the voices for NFL football along with John Madden. You probably all remember this. John Madden and Pat Summerall were a team. What you didn't know was going on behind the scenes, that Pat Summerall was a terrible alcoholic. He, lost, he was losing his family. He was losing his career. He was losing everything. And 14 friends, some of the names you would recognize today, 14 friends put a surprise meeting on him and read him a letter, all 14 of them, and asked this question, will you go for help? Will you go for help? At first he was angry, but the power of those 14 friends and their voices and those letters changed his mind. And he went to a recovery uh, clinic. At that recovery clinic, he met Jesus Christ as Savior. He, joined a, he was baptized and joined a church in Texas. And he's still serving God today. 
And Pat Summerall's testimony for you today would be this. It's not too late. Whether you're, whether you're 24, whether you're 48, or whether you're 72, it doesn't matter. It's not too late. But what has to change are the choices we make. As you heard earlier on, the greatest choice is what we do with Jesus Christ. That's the game of Patrick. If you're listening to this voice at this sermon and you're not a follower of Christ, if you're listening online later on or on the radio and you're not a follower of Christ, that is the pivotal decision, what you do with Jesus Christ. And then as we come to these junctures in our lives, what shall I do with my life? Who shall I marry? Should, should I stay in a marriage or end the marriage? Well, what, what career should I do? Um, how can I finish well? Uh, what should be the tenor of our family life at my house? Every juncture that we face then is viewed through the lens of God's Word. The song again said, after all, after all, after all, after all, there's no book like this book. There's no God like our God. There's no Savior like our Savior. And there's nothing like the living, powerful Word of God being enacted in the life of God's children. So my decision time today is this. If you've never trusted, you may think you've messed your life up royally. Oh, God's in the business of taking over and doing a good job of it. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I would love to share with you about my friend Jesus Christ. I'll be down front. I'll have some friends here who'd love to pray with you. If you're, if you're at one of those junctures in life, maybe today's the day you want to come and say, Okay, God, I'm at, who am I going to marry? You want me to be single? Who am I going to marry? God, would you give me wisdom? God, what should I, you've wired me. How did you create me? What should I do with my life? Perhaps you're in a, a very difficult marriage. Perhaps you're, you're scarred with the divorce. And I've heard some horrible stories of scarring in marriages. Perhaps today's the day you lay it down. Say, God, I give it to you. Heal the scars. Heal the wounds. Bring forgiveness into my life. Perhaps today's the day you lay that burden down. Maybe perhaps your home is not what it should be. And you want to lay that down before God and say, God, help me to be the husband, the wife, the child that I need to be. And God, help me to finish well. I'm glad with you it's not too late. I'm glad you still work in the fourth quarter. Thank you, God. Let me finish well. Would you bow with your heads with me, please? Father, the Word says that, and it calls itself quicker and sharper than a two-edged sword, and I know some of your Word today has cut. My Word should never cut. But, Father, if your Word does, then it does. God, speak to our hearts. For my friends here today who have never experienced the healing and the forgiveness of God's amazing grace through Jesus Christ, may today be that day. Father, for our students here, and we have been blessed at Dorsville, some wonderful students. Father, give them the wisdom to seek your will for their lives. Father, some single ones here today, perhaps single again. Father, they need your wisdom. May they turn to your word and follow your word, the wisdom of your word. But also, would you speak to their hearts about what they should do in the choosing of a mate? Father, for the ones here today who are struggling in their marriage, I pray, Father, for 
strength, wisdom, grace, all that you need to bring into that. Father, for ones who have gone through the pain of a divorce, first, may we please not be rock checkers. And would you please make their new marriage, Father, last a lifetime. And God, help us to finish well. As I think about my own life and the years, how quickly they've gone by, help us to finish well. So would you have your way in this decision time? Please, God, you're a God of great help. Uh, Without you, we can do nothing. You're a God of great help. Would you please reach down from heaven, embrace these dear people in our lives, and help us because we need you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.